So we've, uh, we've been in Ephesians um, for two weeks. This will be our second week uh, here. And, uh, and Ephesians is such a, a fantastic book. It's this, uh, this idea that... Um, it's this idea that, that there's this, this, this God, this cosmic plan of God, this enormous plan of God, this redemptive plan of God, and that somehow God has taken the, the cosmos and he's, and he's brought it here to earth, and that he's taken all of eternity and he's brought it to our everyday. Now, this is the reason why uh, the, the tagline of our Ephesians series, kind of to help us understand this, is all of Christ for all of life. I think it, it does us well to, uh, to kind of sit in this. I know last week we, we looked at the first, uh, whatever, 14 verses of, uh, of Ephesians, and it's big, and it's overwhelming, and it's, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like hugging a whale. I know that's a horrible, that's a good word picture. It's just so stinking big. Um, I, I mean, as I, as, I, as I even preach it, I think, how are we getting around this? And, and that's where we're supposed to be at right now in, in Ephesians. We're going to see where this connects with every day, but we, we have to sometimes stay in that, in that kind of, that, that zero gravity feeling of God is so big, God is so huge, what is going on? He has a plan. I'm not sure I can grasp this. And I think it's so amazing that now in our text that, that Reuben read for us so well here, uh, that, we, um, that we see the, the immediate next thing that happens in Ephesians, uh, verses 15 through 23, is that Paul turns to prayer. You see, there's something that happens. That all of this cosmos is bound together uh, to earth, fully God, fully man, in Jesus Christ. And we see now this very practical way that we experience the, 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 the binding, the blending of these two, two realities, a very practical way that we blend heaven and earth is through a direct conversation with God in prayer. And so he turns to God in prayer which is this binding things together. But his content of his prayer is amazing. That he says, I know this is big, guys. You can't do it on your own. You need the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand what God is up to in your life. And it is for your hope. It is for your joy. It is for your encouragement that it'll be there. I think sometimes we get too focused on, on one aspect of, of, of our um, of our history. Uh, sometimes maybe we just are a nostalgic person who just doesn't like today, and so we just dream of yesteryears. Sometimes maybe we, we are a person who doesn't like today, and, and, and we look to the future, and we say, it will be better. Uh, one, one, uh, one author, uh, he, says, um, he says, right worship is remembering the past, anticipating the future, so that we can live rightly today. And my hope is that you'll understand in the prayer here that, that what Paul is doing here is he's saying, let's not live only in the past and say, God worked well in the past. He saved me, therefore, I guess it's good, even though today it's horrible. Or it'll be better. But let's, let's figure out how we combine all that together so that we understand how we live today. So that we live today. So uh, under that, we're going to be a praying people. Here are three uh, bullet points for today as we go through the text. Uh, we want to be beholding the eternal God today. Point one is that we will be praying for each other. So pray for each other. Point two is pray with purpose. And point three is pray 
while you proclaim. Let's see how Paul does this, because he's going to point us to Christ, and Christ is the point, but the way in which Paul approaches this is really helpful for us to understand how do we interact with one another. So, point one, uh, praying for each other, verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, Paul, he leads off with this thanksgiving. So he begins with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God because of the blessings that he's done. But now he turns to this and he says, for this reason, I thank God because he is doing something in your life. I thank God for him, or for, for you and for your faith. Now there is a moment of, uh, of, of, of thankfulness that we can have right now, um, just uh, kind of on a, on a material level here at Parkview. Uh, the Thanksgiving offering is something that we'd, we'd looked at and we'd, we'd, uh, we'd prayed for, we'd, we'd talked about, and, uh, and, and the body of Christ at Parkview has just def- definitely responded so well. Just quick numbers. You have the numbers in, in, in emails. Um, the final Thanksgiving offering was, uh, was $214,000. That's incredible, over, over uh, a handful of weeks. As of December 31st, um, our uh, December giving was $350,000. That put us in a much better spot financially as a church. Uh, that is, it is wonderful to see that. And it's not all about numbers. It's not all about, you know, finances. But that is one way in which we can see there is that we, we are blessed, um, all of us, not just the pastors and the staff. All of us are blessed by a very generous people. Uh, you see that in the giving, uh, in the plate offering. You see that online giving. You see that with things like uh, when, we, when we raise up someone of our own and you rally around. There's a great generous uh, generosity there as evidence that there is faith working in you. Um, and I think that it's commendable. So thank you for that. It is such a joy to be with people that, 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 that are so generous that way and selfless with their resources that way. And Paul says here, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So you're going to want to mark up your scripture journal here. For this reason. So I don't know how you note it. I always do a little triangle or whatever. For is a word that you want to look for. For. This is what every pastor is you know, probably saying. Uh, for. It means that there's a reason for this. This is a logical connection, right? So it's everything that happened in the verses before. Because of all of the stuff that happened before, because God is enormous, because God has chosen us, God has redeemed us, and we are sealed with, with the Spirit, right? That's what we're talking about. He says, for this reason, and then he boils it down even more. Paul boils it down, and he, uh, he says, because I have heard of your faith. Because you believe in the reality that I just stated, I give thanks to God. And I love that, because I could say, and we got to slow this down. We could say, because you have faith, and you guys are so dang great at being faithful, thank you. But he doesn't say thank you to them, does he? He says, thank God. Because God has chosen you within his will and his purpose. These are all the words that we just come off of. Because God somehow has orchestrated a way that you are forgiven for your sins by faith in Christ. That that is even a possibility. I praise God. I thank God for that. Because you, through faith, have crossed through that threshold of what you know and experience in this life, in your emotions, 
in your, in, in your, in your body, in your relationships, because you, you understand that there is a need for a Savior. There is need for something to be right. You have crossed that bridge from, from, from the everyday now into the eternal through faith. And you have said, I need that. And that has effect here today. Because you have done that, I thank God. And because somehow when that connection is made, it produces, what does it produce right there? He tells us, love. Isn't that great? It produces a higher reality of understanding. I don't know. Uh, He's going to pray for some more of that. But immediately, what he's saying is, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you should be a more loving person from the get-go. There's just something about what we know of God and how he interacts with us that directly affects how we interact with others. Because I've seen this. I know you have faith because you love each other in a very peculiar way. People don't normally love each other the way that you do. You love each other with something that looks a lot more like what the Old Testament says is this unconditional love, this steadfast, enduring love. You do something different. Now, I guess a question would be, do we do that? Prayer can be made for the believers in Ephesus because Paul knows that they are true believers. And so he's encouraging, uh, he's encouraged by the saints. That is, the saints here are those who believe in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. So the believers are the saints. He's encouraged by the saints. And even more, he prays for the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will even, uh, that, that his work of illuminating, of enlightening the eyes of their hearts will be even more effective in their lives. One commentator likens this to, here's my great illustration, a horse. Um, he likens this to the blinders on a horse. And, and so you see, I mean, it's kind of dark, but you can see the blinders up there. The blinders are there to, you know, direct um, the horse where they should go. And sometimes we get that way. We get, we, we get the way of a horse. We get the blinders there that we don't actually realize. Paul, Paul says something. He says, having a, something to the effect of this. Having experienced salvation in the past and focusing your sights on the consummation of salvation in the future, he says, right now I pray that the Spirit remove the blinders on your heart that you may see the landscape of God's graces every day. That's good out there. Go for that. You got someone driving you in the back. You're saved. He says, let's just take off those blinders and see his glories today. Not the future, not the past. What is God doing today in us? And you are going to be overwhelmed that God is not just a God of the cosmic future, the cosmic past, but God is a God of today. And you will never run out of praising his name for what he does for you each and every day. Isn't that true of us? Aren't we like horses? (laughs) Aren't our hearts inclined to the horse blinder style of prayer when we remember God's past work, thankfully. Thank you, God, for doing these things. We pray with a real focus and fervor for his future work. God, show me what this is. I expect this is where I'm going. So God, I'm praying expectantly. Let's go this way. Or God, show me the way here. Sometimes we lose the periphery of today, of advancing the kingdom today. We think maybe a little too far. In our prayers. Now, I'm not saying don't pray those ways, 
So let's have a more robust view as Paul does here because he has a robust view of how Christ works in our lives today. Maybe one way, it's a practical way of doing this. Um, man, I've just been struck over the, over the holidays reading uh, the book of, of Lamentations. I was just maybe making a list here of, of counting your new morning mercies. Um, we get lost in that sometimes. I would, I would encourage you, I'm going to do it right now. Uh, yeah. I'm going to pause for 10 seconds. And you're going to practice doing this once because as soon as you do it, then you're more inclined to do it again. Think of a way that you can thank God or praise him for his work in your life today. I know it's 9.45 in the morning. Today. What has he done today? He has done infinite number of things for you. Can you name one? And just think it. And now pray to God. Thank you for that. It's that easy. It's also that difficult. <laughs> it's easy in practice, but our hearts and our blinders sometimes would rather go to what we need today. Here's something that I've got. Here's kind of a, I don't know, campus vision here. Uh, uh, if you went to the Tin Roost uh, last week, um, I kind of mentioned some of this stuff. I want to give this to more people. I was just compelled to give it to more of us today uh, in the sermon. Is This year, um, I would love for us to advance the kingdom uh, one by one. Um, so the idea of this is uh, <laughs> um, we do a really nice job with each other. We've, we've over, over the last year, we've really melded together as, as a family. Uh, it feels like a cohesive body. Now, there's always going to be work to do in building our relationships with one another. But I really want to uh, be praying for one another. Paul does this. I'm not just making this up and randomly going off the text. He's doing this. He's praying for the people here specifically. Um, and so he says, I, because I've heard what he does, I pray for you more. So I want you to name uh, the person. Think of the person here. So here's my immature uh, labels here. You're going to pray for the innies and the outies. Uh, the, 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 the ones who are in the church, someone who is in this room right now. I'm giving you permission to do the awkward look around in case you like beeline to your seat so no one didn't get your spot. Um, so pray for someone here in this room. Not right now, uh, but you're going to pray for them like every single week till like Easter. Those of you who have done that know that there is so much that is learned more than just praying for the person. You're going to find a developing relationship and a concern and a Christ-like care for people as you do this. It's simple. Pray for one person in this room, the innies. And then pray for one person not in this room. Preferably someone not in a church right now. Until Easter. I really think that we can grow the kingdom in a very real way if we pray for people first. Because God does something in our prayer that really moves us to mission. It's an experiment. Let's try it out. Think of those people, though, because we're going to workshop it here as we go through the next things. Paul doesn't simply thank God for the saints. He also uh, prays that God work on their behalf. Uh, Pastor John Piper says it this way. Paul is praying that the saints would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to grasp the majesty and the glory and the riches and wonder of all the things he has been talking about. We have to pray that people understand the content of Ephesians 1 because God is so massive 
Here's a statement that I heard yesterday from uh, Pastor Thomas. Good night at the, uh, at the, the community group, uh, uh, or the community group leader training. That man brought us into the presence of our eternal call. <laughs> I says, you're eternal people. You better think that way. If we are eternal people, let's pray for eternal things. Let's move, let's act. Let's love each other in eternal ways. So, we, uh, we pray for each other, uh, but we pray with a purpose. So, uh, verses 17 through 19. Okay, here we go. We're going to get a little nerdy here. You're going to mark up your Bibles here, or note, or however you do that. Um, verse 17, the word that is the, is the beginning of that one. Uh, that, you want to mark that. That is important, because this is the purpose of why he's praying. He says, I remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. There is a sermon alone in that one verse. But what he is saying is that, 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 that God and Jesus may give you the spirit, that the triune God may work in your life to help you understand that you are an eternal being, there is an eternal purpose, and you are invited to span the gap of the eternal and the everyday. That is massive. This is what our reality is. We don't live like that, but this is our reality. And he says that he may give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That you may have seen with the blinders, that that you were pointed to Christ with the blinders, and you saw him and you said, praise be to God. And you had faith. But now that he stripped those away, that he give you further revelation of everything around, because Christ is so much bigger than just the guy who saves you. He says, and having your, your, uh, your, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that, mark that one again, here's the, the next purpose, that the Spirit may be given to you, and that the work of the Spirit may be, uh, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe. That's a lot. I'm going to boil it down to maybe the three points. This is something, this is the Bible strategy, study strategy. Paul writes in very long sentences, and sometimes you have to see where is the pattern of what he's, how he's talking. He does have a rhythm. Sometimes reading it out loud is very helpful because you start to hear it in him, in him. You're going to hear that a lot in him. Wait, I'm saying this a lot. Uh, So, so here's what he says here. He says, that uh, having uh, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, so, oh, wow, handy dandy, I made a slide, Uh, that you may know the hope, the riches, and the greatness. I mean, that's a very simple way of remembering what he has here, that the Spirit enlightens our heart, and the purpose of that is that we may have hope, that we may know the riches, that we may know the greatness. So, the hope And then we'll we'll add on the rest of the verbs there. The rest of the words. The hope to which he has called you. I mean, hope is everything. And the last last couple of episodes of the uh, the Star Wars movies, like, it just really struck me that this idea of hope is there. I mean, that's probably been through the whole series. I mean, one of them is called like A New Hope or something. Um, but, But these last couple ones, especially this last one, I remember sitting there a few weeks ago, just like, this is bizarre hope. I just realized that the Jedi lived more on hope than on the Force. The, uh, 
I just don't, I just felt pretty convicted. Like, I don't feel like I have that, that intense of hope. Granted, it's a movie and they can write that, but still. We are eternal beings. But without God, we have no hope. And that's a reality. I mean, we want hope. We put our hope in stuff. That's kind of just a natural thing. We will always be putting our hope in things. But what is it that we are putting our hope in? Without God, it says, yeah, whatever basket you put your eggs in is not going to work. You have no hope. This is hopeless. Just do whatever you want. This isn't my own conclusion. Rather, this is the worldview of Paul as he's led by the Spirit. This is what he tells us in Ephesians. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, at one time you had no hope. That's pretty clear. Uh, and, then, and then he goes on in, in, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, but you were called into hope. And I think that's, that's incredible, that God acknowledges that we are people that, that, that are born within us is this desire for hope. We, want, we, we need hope. Oftentimes our, our sadness, our, our, our anger, our frustration, it comes when that hope doesn't match where we wanted it to be. And he says, but you have a hope. And it's, and it's this idea of, that it's not your plan of hope. Because what does it say here in the text? The hope to which he has called you. Here is the hope. This thing is actually hopeful. This will check out. This will be a steadfast, unwavering hope. This is the basket to put all the eggs in. And you, wherever your hope is, you're called to this hope. God has decided to call you to the better hope. This is where you need to go. Just gather your eggs. There. This is where you're called. And it's so helpful that he says, not simply the hope that's in Jesus, because let's be honest, I say the hope that's in Jesus, and all of us think a totally different thing. He says, no, the hope that I am laying out here, this hope, that Jesus has saved you, that Jesus will finally save us, and that salvation is something that we experience daily as we are in him. Wow, I would never have thought of that. I needed to be called to that idea. So here in Ephesians 1, Paul is modeling for us to pray for an expanded awareness of the full implications of God's calling in each other's lives. That is something. So you've got your, I, I can't keep saying innies and outies and with a straight face. The people that you're praying for is what I'm going to go with. Uh, that's what happens when you just write chicken scratch notes and then you just have to preach it. Whoops, I'll edit that out next time around. Um, the, uh, the people that you're praying for, Pray for that, an expanded awareness of the full implications of God's calling. God wants the people that you are thinking of to have hope that's real. I had a, uh, my youth pastor, he always told me this. He says, theology informs action. What a great youth pastor to say things like that, high and lofty. Uh, theology informs action. And so what he means is what you think of God, what you know of God, is what you're going to be doing. You're going to act from that. You know, if God's an ogre in the sky, you're going to, like, hate on him or be terrified of him, right? That's how it works. If God is your, whatever, your homeboy, you're going to, like, be super cavalier with your faith, and it's not really going to matter so much. You'll be like, oops, sorry, dude, we all mess up. Uh, but if you have this right calibration of, of who God is, it's going to inform your actions so that you have a right practice of your faith. But I think behind that, what Paul is showing us here is that it's not simply theology that informs our action, but it is 
reality that informs our theology. There are a lot of religions that have a lot of bad theology. But in God's grace, he revealed to us through the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, and he continues to do that, a very clear, right understanding of who God is. We can know God rightly and truly so that we can act rightly and truly. Let me say that another way. We can know God truly and rightly so that we respond rightly. We will respond. He wants to make sure that we're responding to the right God. Uh, Bible commentator Clinton Arnold explains it this way. He says, Paul wants these believers to know that God has chosen them before the foundation of the world and that a time is coming when he will bring everything under, his, under the headship of Christ. Wow. That's our reality now. In Colossians 1, Paul speaks of the mystery hidden for the ages and, for, and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Then he says in Colossians 1.27, he says, To the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He prays that we might have hope. Now, hope is Christ Jesus the hope of glory. He prays that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I, th I find this one just, just amazing. So we say riches, uh, glorious inheritance. Um, remembering that Paul is writing this uh, to a wealthy port town like Ephesus is a bit ironic because they were very wealthy, especially since if we remember Acts 19, uh, since the last time we know that he spoke about Christ in Ephesus, they rioted against him. On what grounds? They rioted him against him because, he, because the gospel was killing their silver shrine industry. And so the, the silversmith who's making shrines says, we can't have this gospel. It's going it's to put, put the industry under. And now he comes back, Paul comes back with this letter forging a new reality of the heavenlies, of wealth and of life that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Sometimes the gospel seems dull. And sometimes, often, you and I need to pray for those people we're thinking of. We need to pray for your Christian brothers and sisters that they might lift their eyes from their worth-making and behold the eternal riches. It's like, Pray that the blinders go. But you and I are prone to put them back on and say, I'm going to stick to my guns. I think Babel's good enough for me. I think I'll keep building that. And we do it again and again and again and again. And we need prayer again and again and again so that we might behold the eternal riches of God. There is something worth inherently worth more than anything we could imagine. This is the second time that Paul has used the language of inheritance in Ephesians. And what does he mean? He says, the glorious riches of his inheritance. I think this is kind of helpful here. Uh, where, whereas um, in verse 114, he says, uh, who is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And he's talking about our inheritance. In, here in verse 18, the talk is of his inheritance. Like, look at that, mark it. It's, it's one word, but it makes a big difference. Uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance. 
It's speaking of God's inheritance. On the one side, we're seeing our inheritance that we receive through faith, but now we're seeing God's inheritance that he receives through faith, which focuses not so much on what he gives his people as on the other side of it, his possession of the people. And this is a, a, a really, this is a very biblical thing. In the Old Testament, uh, God's inheritance is frequently used as a, as a synonym, as a way to talk about his people. In Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 4.20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt, so he saved them to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Here's a God, uh, here, uh, here it is, God's inheritance, which is in view, and his inheritance consists of the believers who now constitute his people. So what does that all mean? That sounds pretty high. We need to pray that people understand that God has an inheritance, us, those of us who believe, and that that is deeply valuable to him. We need to pray that people understand that they are valued by God just as much as we may value an inheritance given to us. He values us in a similar way. God deeply values you. Now, I just... I just, for me, this one is, is, is a difficult one for me to say. I say it, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. We always say that in, in, in Christianity. God values you. It's such a true thing. But even as someone who, who, who says that a lot, who's heard that a lot, that God values me, um, I'll, I'll be honest, just me personally, my experience is, uh, is over this last year, we've, I've, 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 I go to a counselor. I think it's great for people to go through and talk through things. It's been really good. We talk through this idea of, uh, of just like, I am a person who is wired to, at, at some level, at a big level actually, to always, no matter what, have this sense of like worthlessness. Maybe that's you. I'm really opening up here on you. And even when I hear those things, I've told my wife this before, it's like, someone will give a compliment and it's like, it just like, like it, like it doesn't stick. I want to speak to those of you who, who might be that way. Like that is a thing. You're not weird. You're not wired weird. Like, sometimes it's just really impossible to feel, like, I read the truths of Scripture. I will, in my mind, believe that, but my heart is not believing that. People like me need you to pray that God would actually open the eyes of our heart that we might receive that truth. And maybe as you pray for those people that you have in your mind, it might be good to find out if that's a thing. Because if they believe that, like me, you're not actually believing that God's love is bigger than your mess. And that's not the gospel. You're believing a different God, a bad theology. You need to help each other learn and understand what is the beauty, the magnificent, the riches that come from being his inheritance. And then we move on, and Paul says, here's this third thing. He says, uh, he says that you have the hope, that the riches, and that you know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And so I'm going to kind of transition here uh, to, to our final point, because what Paul is going to do here, as he does so many times, he's such a preacher, uh, he gets to a point, he's like, guys, let me go off on this. And he's going to in a big way. And so what Paul does here is he's going to unpack this idea of the greatness of of God's power toward us who believe, while at the same time modeling for us 
uh, this way of, 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 of praying while we proclaim. And so I'm just going to give you an exa- uh, explain that a little bit. It's not enough to just sit there and pray for the people that you have in your mind. You also have to work with the Spirit to give them some of that content, to give them some of that, 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 that understanding, to give them the Word of God that He has revealed to us. It's not just some divine encounter that they're going to have where God speaks to them. Maybe that's it, and it does do that. But He's also revealed a whole lot about Himself here, and we can give that to people. That's one of the things I love about what Nate's doing. Is that Look at that. you got problems. Look at this. Just the love of God here. It's changing people. And so Paul does this oftentimes. He prays fervently that the Spirit would give you wisdom and knowledge. But at the same time, he says, but within the limits, I can't make you believe it. I can at least lay down very clearly and eloquently and logically what this is. So here he goes. He's going to go off on this. Uh, Verses 20 through 23. Now the work that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm going to give you some structural things. You can mark up your, your scripture journals or your Bibles Uh, with these. These are really helpful. He has done stuff. He worked in Christ. The power that he worked in Christ towards us. Four things here. He raised him. That's in your Bible there. He raised him. Note that. He seated him. Note that. He put all things under his feet. I think is what ESV says. Literally it is. He subjected everything to him. And he gave him uh, you can mark that. He gave him, and then what? As head to the church. God sent Christ to do a work of redemption, but then God lifted Christ above even death. He raised him from death. He seated him in a place of authority and honor. He then made sure not simply to put him in a place, but then he put everything under him. And then he gave him to the church. Who is running our church? A resurrected Lord over all things. Uh, I, I think as, as, as Thomas, uh, Pastor Thomas quoted uh, 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 Ray Ortland yesterday, he says, how can this not go well? <laughs> if the Lord is above this, well, here's how it doesn't go well. We act like he's not Lord of this. So I want you to note those things. I'm just going to go off of this, uh, this final one. He gave him as the head of the church. Because I want you to note, he raised him, he seated him, he put things under his feet. That is going to come back again in a beautiful way next week when our brother Andrew preaches, uh, preaches the text for us. Something happens in Christ with the raising and seating. I'll leave it there. He gave him as head to the church. This God of glory is now the head of the church. Cosmic, the cosmic redemptive plan is known in Christ. Fully God, fully man in Christ. We have access to him, to heaven. We can speak to the God of heaven here on earth through prayer. We understand the plan of God for the fullness of all time in the words written in the Bible. 
There are these thresholds at which these worlds are combining together, and now we get this insane one that Christ is now the head of the church. But it goes even further. He says, and he put all things under his feet. Uh, sorry, it, 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 he gave his head to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ is filling the church, and the church is filling Christ. And what's going on with this language? There's this binding of eternity with the everyday through Christ. This manifold wisdom of God, we're going to get this in chapter 3, is made known in the church. But he says filling, which is an interesting word. Filling. The word here, the Greek word is literally pleroma. And to the Greek ear, they would have heard this idea that the pleroma was the totality of the divine powers. This is actually a word they used to describe this like collection, like all the divine powers are here. And so Paul's actually speaking to people who hear this language, and he's saying, all of the divine powers are here. He's the better filling of that. He is the divine power. All of the divine powers are only God, because the others are not actually the, div- the divine powers. But, but, then, but then the Old Testament ear is going to hear this idea of filling, and then we'll do a quick quiz here. Uh, what is filled in the Old Testament? The temple. The temple is filled in the Old Testament. And, and who fills the temple? God. God fills the temple. So the Old Testament and the Greek are all going to hear this in Ephesus, and they're going to say something is particular about the filling of God. And this is the filling we need to feel as a church every day. Because we get this language uh, in John. Jesus says that he is the temple. We also hear in 1 Corinthians that, that the church is Christ's body. But then elsewhere we hear that our body is the temple to be filled with the Spirit. This idea of filling, of temple, of body. It's all confusing here together. And why is, what, what is happening with this? Who is the temple? Who is the church? There's somewhat of a blending of things all together. Ephesians 1.10, the point of Ephesians the purpose which he set forth in Christ is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Pastor Thomas said this yesterday. I know I've quoted him a bunch. It was fantastic. He said, your community group is at the epicenter of a cosmic battle between the devil and the Lord of glory. That's what we're doing at church. That's what we're doing. We are at the epicenter of something enormous. We are not teaching our kids songs. We are teaching them truths of eternity. We are not taking the elements in the Lord's Supper. We are arming ourselves with the hope and and the substance and the weapons of that victory for the battle. We come in and we renounce our sin because we're all traitors every week. There is a cosmic battle that we are reminded of and brought into, and it's not just in the morning on Sunday. It's every day. What if you lived as an eternal being? What if you prayed for your people in that way? So I want to make it very clear. We've gone through a bunch. We're going to be landing we got one more chapter, and then we're really going to be landing it in practicals. But I want to stay up there. I don't want to jump too soon. we got to be up there. we got to see the eternal view of us. So I'm going to give you a very practical rundown of what it is. Three points. This is what I've said. 
your fa- or faith is beyond you. That's the nature of faith. Faith is beyond you. None of us would ever think of God in the way he reveals himself at Ephesians 1. It's beyond us. It's almost too far beyond us that it's ungraspable. We need help. But because of God, we know that he is, he is uh, all-knowing and rich in grace. He makes a way that we can know God truly through his word, through Christ, and through the Spirit. And so we must pray fervently for each other to know and understand and live out the mystery of Christ. I am deeply convinced that Christ is known to us through the Spirit, but as we go out into the world who does not have the Spirit, Christ is known to the world through the church, through how believers live. Do they live in a way that rightly responds to a real God? So, as I've said, pick one person here and pray for them each week. Pick one person that's not here and pray for them each week. These things, that the blinders, that they would see Christ and that the blinders would be that they would, they would marvel in him in the everyday, in today. Speak and show Christ in addition to your prayers. Our hypocrisy is an obstacle to the gospel. It's as though it's not enough to pray and tell someone, I'm praying for you, but then go and model things very unchristlike to them. And we can always be doing this ongoingly with the hope that is real as we gaze upon the horizons of our past and future work to see the world around us today. So what I want to do is I want to pray right now. and give you a, a small space. I know the kids have returned um, to pray for those people today. So I'll give you uh, just a couple, couple seconds here, and then we'll come back with the Lord's Prayer here. So God, thank you for those in our lives that you've called us to. And whether we've named people to pray for or not at this moment, we want to lift them up to you in prayer. God, it seems so simple just to name people that I can think of that need you. It's terrifying to, uh, to wonder or to know that you've called me to them as well. Please give each of us the endurance, the patience, the love, the truth. Please give us the right approach to building your kingdom. We want to do it rightly. We want to win people to you in the way that you want them to be one. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray that, that the kingdom would grow here through Parkview for your glory alone.